it's ironic that my daughter's name is Honor and that my company's name is Honest because I would say my strength, it's like a double-edged sword, the honesty, because I'm brutally honest is what my parents call it. And, and my husband's like, it's the way you can deliver it. If, like your tone he talks about. Like, <laughs> well, you okay, got a nice so way about you. It's all good. I've done, you know, therapy and <laughs> some healing. <laughs> Welcome to yet another episode of the Nordy Pod. I'm Pete Nordstrom, president of Nordstrom and your host for this podcast. Join me as I take you on an honest, authentic journey through our company and introduce you to many of the fascinating people in my life, one episode at a time. So you've heard the spiel. We really want to use the Nordy Pod to learn about and share your experiences with Nordstrom. So if you've got an interesting story, or if you just want to tell me how excited you are to go out and show off your new shoes that you just bought from us, give me a call and leave a voicemail. The number is 206-594-0526, or send us an email to nordypodcast at nordstrom.com and be part of the conversation. Okay, let's get on with the show. In this episode, I'd like to highlight Ashley Christian, one of our top salespeople at the Barton Creek store in Austin, Texas, who's found tremendous significance and purpose through her work at Nordstrom. We don't use the F word around here, fat. We don't like that word. We don't say that word here in these fitting rooms. You know, we're so critical of the way that we look and to be able to go into a fitting room and have somebody and trust someone like myself, really it becomes very therapeutic. But before we hear from Ashley, Join me for my conversation with actor, New York Times bestselling author, and founder of The Honest Company, Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba knew she was going to do something great with her life ever since she was a little girl. She had a strong desire to do good in the world and a determination to prove wrong anyone who thought she couldn't. At age 11, Jessica won a talent contest propelling her into the world of Hollywood, where she's built a massively successful career and a foundation of financial security that she never knew growing up. But Jessica didn't stop there. While pregnant with her first child, Jessica experienced an allergic reaction to a laundry detergent advertised for infants, logically sparking the question, What on earth is in this stuff? The subsequent research led her to start The Honest Company, a mission-driven brand focused on leading the clean lifestyle movement, dedicated to creating safe and effective personal care, beauty, baby and household products. Industry beware, Jessica Alba is raising the bar. Hey, look, today... I'm excited because I get to talk to Jessica Alba. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that knows a lot of famous people and certainly Hollywood famous people. So this is a treat for me. And it's, I was actually a little nervous. But, uh, you know, Jessica's got this this company, the Honest Company that Nordstrom's done business with. And we're actually having a business meeting about that today. So there's a legitimate reason 
for us to be meeting and talking rather than me just asking you about what it's like to be a successful actor and have this entrepreneurial spirit with this great company. So anyway, thanks so much for agreeing to, to do this and to talk to me today. It's my pleasure. So I guess I'll start with, this is probably a big part of your life now, telling the story of the Honest Company mm -hmm. and, and trying to find these partnerships with retailers like ourselves. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I first launched the company, it really was like, in order to be truly authentic, it was to not have to rely on a retail partner to tell that story. So it was a D2C business. It was a D2C was... business for a couple of years. And then we forged a few partnerships. And you actually, Nordstrom was one of our first. And so what's interesting about Honest is like we're a brand that stands for values. And why I wanted to start a business that's called The Honest Company is because I really felt like if you apply these ethics and values in any category, at any price point, people will get it. Because honesty is something that intrinsically you can connect with. I mean, everyone values honesty, right? Yeah, yeah we talk about it all the time that authenticity in whatever brand is and having an ethos or something that's transparent mm -hmm. that can help connect people really matters. And I can tell you, at least as a sample size of one, that your brand and, and the products you make, they connected at my house. We had a lot of those products from my <laughs> house. My kids are younger. Um, I was actually asked my wife about today. She says, oh, I know, I'm totally a fan. And I think, you know, perhaps I'd like to hear you talk about it a little bit, but was the impetus of this, like, I'm a new mom. These are the kind of products I'm looking for. Yeah, the big sort of moment, my aha moment was around me having my first child, my daughter, Honor. And I really, like, started to reevaluate my life. I had been working since I was 12 as a professional actress, um, I came from a very humble, working-class family. My dad was in the military, made like $14,000 a year until I was nine. And then we moved in to one of my grandparents' house. And, and where was that? Like in the Inland Empire, which is like an hour and a half east of Los Angeles. Suburbs, every other house looks the same. You know, not a lot of diversity. But I started working when I was 12 and so how did that happen i mean did you have a creative family I and mean, did they have I an interest have in acting very, and art or whatever this like was that what the i'm a very was? creative family my grandfather played classical like amazing spanish guitar like classical guitar and he sang and danced and that's how he met my grandmother and my grandmother um they performed at this sort of like dinner theater and so i was surrounded by a lot of like music and dancing and singing so you're involved in that stuff when you were young but i, mean, I was told that i was tone deaf oh. and i never <laughs> did a play i never did a play and then a lot of my grandmother's brothers actually became um either photographers painters sculptors so that was very much part that you know the very artistic people in the family but there was like come down to the hilton hotel at lax it was like a an ad on the radio and like my mom to do what to come, come down to do what to audition come and audition and go and get headshots and you know if you want to be a star it was like this cheesy radio thing and, and like my mom my brother my aunt my four cousins my aunt's sister and her boyfriend we all went down you all and, did it yeah we all waited with thousands of people in line at in the parking lot at the hilton the whole hotel family wanted to be a star and we <laughs> and we like piled in one car 
and we spent like the day and I lied and said I did a play, I think. And I won the grand prize out of like thousands of people. Which, so what did that, did it involve like just an interview? Or like, you like go on a stage and you oh, say so you your actually name. Had to you just go on stage. Yourself. And, yeah, I went on stage and like said my name. And I had these like terrible headshots that I was wearing way too much makeup. Um, and you're what, 12? I was 11 at the time. Oh my gosh. And basically I was like, I can't do the, so the prize was you get these free acting classes and they'll, you'll also get um, to audition for an agency and they'll pay for your headshots. And so that was the grand prize package. And I won it. And they're like, and, you know, you'll basically do this over a year period. And I'm like, I'm 11 and I go to school. And so I have to do this over a summer. So I basically jammed the year's worth of free lessons into one summer. And it was called Beverly Hills Studios. So they were acting lessons. Yeah. It was like, here's what, you know, a camera is. And this is what lines are. And this is how you audition. And this is what a director does and a producer. So was it helpful? Yeah. I mean, I got in my agent. And then I got a job pretty soon after that, my first job. And I got my SAG card when I got my first job, which is like sometimes it takes people's years to get their SAG card. And then I I just sort of, I, I gave myself... Basically, I graduated with the GED when I was 16 and I just... Is that because you were working and you just... I was working and I also like, I wasn't getting jobs because I wasn't, I hadn't graduated. And so it limited what I could do when they were hiring 20 year olds to play 16 Mm. and I was 16 playing 16. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give myself two years and if I don't make it, like really make it, in some form or fashion. I don't want to be a struggling actress. So like, I, what did that mean to you if you had to envision what success was? What, what was making it to I you? I think it was like knowing that I was going to be able to work and I didn't have to like struggle because financially it was so hard for my parents living paycheck to paycheck and being in that environment. I just, I needed financial security. So was the driving force for you more around kind of success and that or is it like I've got this artistic thing in me, this creative thing in me I need to do? To be honest, it was like the freedom of financial independence and then financial stability. I was always the weirdo in my family. Like I never subscribed to the traditional Mexican-American family where like men are the king of the household and the women do all the domestic things and you don't challenge the man and you don't challenge authority. And challenging literally means asking questions. And I asked all the questions, and I was really curious about why things were the way they were. So did you get in trouble a lot as a kid? Yes. When you said you were the weirdo, is that what it meant? You were yes. kind of in trouble? And beyond. More than that. <laughs> beyond trouble? Like, I had nothing to lose, and I felt like I needed the independence in order for me to have the freedom to be me. So when did you know, like, I've got a talent at this, I'm good at this, and something's happening here? I mean, this is more than just yeah. a lark. There's, there's a so, thing happening So I here. gave myself the two years, and I was like, I need a sign from God. And I do believe in, like, spirit, God, whatever that is, this higher power. And I do, I oh, actually, since I was very small, I was like, I know I'm not here for no reason. And I know I'm here to, like, do something good with my life. And I was saying that since I was, like, three or four. Like, I knew I was here for something. And that's kind of how I thought about things, which is very kind of twisted as well for a young person. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess I was always kind of like trying to figure out what my purpose was. 
And I just said, if I'm supposed to be successful, it needs to be really clear that this is my path and I'm going to do good for the world, whatever that is. So yeah, that that's, and then I got hired by James Cameron out of like thousands of girls who auditioned for this TV show, which was his first thing he did after Titanic. And yeah, I was 17. And so as a network TV show was your first kind of big break? It was my first thing where I was like on a global scale, really, I was everywhere. And, and for me, that was like, okay, James Cameron kind of anointed me in a way. And, and like, that was sort of like my sign from God, you know, mm-hmm. that like, yeah, I can do this for a living. And I shouldn't because I was like, by the time I'm 18, if something doesn't happen, I'm gonna go to college, and I'm gonna get a degree and I need to figure out how I'm gonna be financially stable. Mm-hmm. Like that was really important to me. So how did that make you feel when that initial success came? And was it validating around look, I've been working hard at this thing, and I think I'm good at it or or did it give you more of that sense of kind of security that you mentioned? Like what, what it was, was more about the financial security, but I didn't trust that I had talent. And I felt like I didn't because my family's way of encouraging you is to put you down. And so I didn't ever have really that positive reinforcement. And so I always felt like they just downplayed it. You know, it was like anybody can do this. Anybody can be famous you're just lucky it was well, really when you, like, then, then when did you know like i'm actually good at this i mean you know this has not just been happenstance or luck i didn't really understand that a i was good at it or b that i was worthy of it until i think i was like 30 really and that's and that's after you had done a lot of work and that's when i decided to leave it and start honest that that's kind of amazing so you know i have a fair amount of experience around here of famous people wanting to do some kind of business thing you know they've made it they've become famous in whatever thing they've chosen and then they've tried to parlay that into something else and usually that's kind of a vanity project type of thing and i kind of want you to speak about that i mean i can already imagine where this is going just listening you talk about your your drive for success and stuff but it's hard to be a successful actor you were a successful actor now why do this thing too. You know, because I wasn't, so I, back to purpose, right? Yeah. I wanted to do something good. And when I was a kid, I was really sick. That was another thing. I was pretty isolated and I didn't have very many friends. And I, and I spent a lot of time in the hospital. I had like chronic asthma and I also had many surgeries, like weird stuff, like kidney surgery and like cysts remove and just a lot of weird things. Every time I got a cold, I got pneumonia and I would have to go into the hospital. So it was like I wanted to play sports and I wanted to be better than the boys. I was very competitive with boys, not with girls. But I would like have a breathing machine when I was like playing sports like out there with like a mask (laughs) and a breathing machine that you would have in a hospital bed. But I was like so determined. And so when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I had an allergic reaction to a laundry detergent that is marketed to parents for babies and my mom was like you have to and I didn't know any other moms I was 27 and I didn't really have a ton of friends because I just worked and so yeah my mom told me to use this I had an allergic reaction to it I called her up and told her she was crazy and was she trying to kill me Um, and she was like you're hormonal of course I'm not trying to kill you (laughs) and she was like call me back when you're done yelling at me and freaking out and I was like well what's in this and she's like I don't know and I looked up the ingredients and then I did I'm a I'm big on like research and so I learned about 
untested, potentially harmful chemicals that are in beauty products, that are in baby products, that are in detergents. I learned about how like in Europe, they actually force companies in personal care to test these chemicals for safety before they're even allowed into the marketplace. And there were 1,100 chemicals that were banned because they were deemed unsafe for human health. And in our country, at the time, there were like 11. And so I then went and lobbied on Capitol Hill because I was like, oh, my God. And you're doing this as 27-year-old that's Mm -hmm. pregnant with your first child? You're like, So I was doing all this research, and I was like, I'm bringing this little person into the world. I got flashbacks of me being in hospital beds and being super sick. And I was like, imagine this new little baby. What if she has allergies like me? You know, and I was like, Mom. Um, So I just couldn't deal with that. And I think it was the first time I was like really felt the pressure to keep someone else alive because I really only had to worry about myself up until that point. And that's why maybe I really went hard on the research because I was like, I wouldn't be able to be okay. So how did you turn that from, I mean, you could imagine that being a mission around just information for people to like, I'm going to actually start a business. So when I went and lobbied on Capitol Hill, I would sit down with different people in government that sat on both sides, right? Because I was like, this isn't about Republican or Democrat. This is human health. Like, this is just common sense. We should test chemicals for safety before we bring them into the marketplace. There's enough data. Let's start with the EU list. They've already done the work. And they were like, "Mm, I don't think our voters really care. Mm, I'm not really sure what you're saying is true. And they just didn't. They turned it into they politicized health. Was it hard for you to get taken seriously, kind of given your your fame and, you know, being an actor and all of a sudden, okay, now here's this person now that's talking about chemicals and... Yeah, well, the thing is, is like I came in with a group of scientists and doctors and like nurses and like these groups of people who have done tons of research in this space and they are the people who know all about this and they are the experts and I was more like, I'm not the expert, I'm a concerned parent and I don't want my baby to be exposed and I don't want myself to be exposed to these things. And a lot of these ingredients are linked to many different issues, including like learning disabilities and cancers. And my mom got cancer when she was 21. And basically, if she didn't have me at 19 and my brother at 20, she wouldn't have any kids because she had to have a full hysterectomy. And her mother passed away from cancer. Her grandmother passed away from cancer. And they were all different cancers. None of them were genetic. None of them were genetic. Mm Mm-mm. And so I'm like, what are we doing in our environment that's causing this? And what are we exposing ourselves to that we don't even know? And when I looked into all of these illnesses and you saw this sort of like hockey stick of these chemicals being brought into the marketplace in consumer products, it paralleled the rise in all of these illnesses. Hmm. When I saw that chart, I was like, oh, shit, we're doing this to ourselves. And, you know, I don't think that companies are trying to say, like, I want people to get sick and da, da, da. I don't think that's the way it works. Right. I think they're like, well, I need to expand my growth I and need I, to make money. I need to make money and I want to make this thing as cheaply as possible and put it into as many things as possible. Not really thinking about the consequences right. around human health because that's not there's no guidance around that. That's not their mission. So that's when I was like. I can go and run and, you know, and try and create a nonprofit 
but then I'm just begging for the same 10 billionaires, you know, for money. Or I can just create a for-profit business that stands for this. And hopefully if enough people buy into it, I can help change the marketplace and these companies will have to operate differently. I mean, the thing that comes to mind, okay, so you're a young person in a business that's extremely competitive and difficult and you're successful. You're having a baby, you're starting a family and everything that goes with that. And then you're going to launch a company. Like, How did that sense of balance I mean, how did you even kind of figure that out? Because you strike me as someone that it matters a lot to you that you're a successful parent. Yeah, I think now that I'm my age, right, I think about those things differently. Like if I'm going to spend my time doing X, Y or Z, is it best use of my time? Does it bring me joy? But back then, I didn't have that same filter. It was like, I need to do this because this needs to exist. And I spent three years with people telling me that I was crazy. There's no way you're going to. And you're having to pump your own money into this too. I did, which I'm sure. And turned down a lot of job opportunities, and pretty much didn't really focus at all on Hollywood. And so you talk about people thought you were crazy. So I'm thinking like you've got an agent who makes a living off of you, managers, and you've got family, and you've got a husband, lawyers, yes, all this stuff. So like, did anyone say, yeah, this is awesome? Do more of that. Or did everyone kind of say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And my husband was just like, he was sort of formulating his third business, which he's still currently doing. He was just like, your idea is too big. It's too complicated. It's too much for people to grasp. Make it easier for people to understand. Like, make it simple. What's your elevator pitch? You know, you can't walk in with, we're going to do dishwashers differently. We're going to do laundry differently. We're going to do home furnishings differently. And it's going to be sustainable and it's not going to harm the planet and it's going to be good for people's health. And it's going to be available to anyone anywhere because we're going to be digital and delivered to your door. And it's we're going to surprise and delight people. Sounds fantastic. And my husband was like, it's too much. He was like, make it easy. He goes, no, read the room, know who you're walking in and speaking to and make it easy for them to understand and know the thing that gets them energized and so that's a great business lesson in all regards by the way (laughs) i mean honestly we've been talking about that you know we're in a complicated business like we got to make it simpler for people it's too complicated if people think of your brand what comes to mind boom what is it what do you want someone to say when they say honest company like what is the thing that you want them to think about so this is what's interesting i think just in the name honest there's something about that word in itself that gives you sort of the meaning that matters to you. So for me, I always want to inspire people and inspire them that they can live their best life or they can be more conscious and ethical and you can get everything that you want and that you can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, how do you define success for yourself? You know, now that you've done all these different things, like what is a, what's a good day to you and what is, What does success feel like to you? I mean, it's success is when you tell me that your wife loves my brand and will bring my brand into your home and trusts me for all those little moments that are in between because those in between moments are the most meaningful. Yeah. So you're, you know, the way, because you talked about when you're defining success when you're 12, 13, 14, 15, it was like financial stability. And Mm -hmm. so that's evolved over the years for you. Absolutely. I think that was like a baseline thing for me. I'm going to kick myself if I don't say it. So 
it's but it sounds complicated when I'm talking to you. So this is why I'm like, shit, our mission statement. But, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Maybe I can learn something here. But, I, I say do it. But in my so my idea is that we want to inspire people to love living consciously. Well, and, that's a good elevator speech. That's good. But it doesn't really roll off the tongue. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. So if someone's like clean, you know, some some people are like, oh, yeah, that's a company that's like clean and I can trust it. You know, they did all the hard work for me. So how do, can if I go back to like the acting thing and there's the business person, do those relate to each other at all? Or have you had to develop completely new skill sets and disciplines to be successful about those things? Or were you able to leverage the things you learn in acting to be successful at bootstrapping a company you know what's interesting is like so for every yes i ever had which is all anybody knows me for right or my the yeses i had thousands of no's and, and you mean going back to like in your acting type just, right? Yeah, yeah like in my career like imagine you go on like 10 job interviews and you're prepared you're right for it you did all of the the, the things right you're ready and you get told no, but not just 10 times, hundreds of doors slam in your face. And that's what prepared me in a way for being an entrepreneur and why I have the sort of perseverance and the grit to push through when people were telling me I was nuts and no and why. And it's complicated. Three years of that. And people that are close to you. <laughs> and people that are close to me that I trust. Yeah. I just believed in it. I just knew in my gut that the world needed this. Is it as fulfilling or different, again, the success you had as an actor and then the success you're having now as an entrepreneur? I think it's way more fulfilling as an entrepreneur, but the amount of people that you can touch and inspire, storytelling is how people see themselves it's how they see the future it's how they can dream of a better different circumstance the ability to touch people in so many different parts of the world with one story there's nothing like that i remember going with bono to africa i went on one of his trips before i started honest which was one of the other reasons why i wanted to do a for-profit business because i was inspired by what they did with their red yeah you know how they had the we worked with him when he had you know kicked off the whole eden thing he and ali did that so i got to know him a little bit through that yeah i'm he, actually he, wearing eden pants are you yeah, yeah he, he's a purpose-driven guy he, yeah. was, he was fascinating to talk to yeah and so i went with them and they let me tag along and we were doing an initiative around access to education, like global access to education. And I was on this trip and I'm going into schools with Bono. I mean, <laughs> Bono is amazing. Bono, Bono, yes. Yeah. And <laughs> the kids had no idea in the classrooms who they were, but they loved Honey, this dance movie I did. But they knew you. And they knew they me. And I was like, oh <laughs> my great. God. I was like, what is happening here? I, I couldn't believe that. So you had this, to do the dance moves? They did. They did. They like knew some of, and they would like perform it and they like knew my character and they knew the lines from the movie. And I was just like, so I like, I would start crying and my husband was like, don't cry. They're, they're so proud. They're so happy. Like, don't lose it. I was like, no, no, no. It's just totally fine. Like trying to keep it together. But then I was like, wow, the power of storytelling. 
you know, like, yeah. and how that inspires these kids who have absolutely nothing. A lot of them are refugees and they live in this like sort of, when I tell you they're living in conditions that you just can't even believe. And they were so beautiful and happy and they had this like clubhouse they created and they did like dance and routines and it kept them safe and, and it was a place also where they can study and build community and I don't know I just like I was like man storytelling there's nothing like it so I have a love and and then I started to really as of late like lean into what really creatively drives me and so now I'm I'm back into storytelling um, but as a producer I think what frustrated me in Hollywood before is they didn't get a woman of color they didn't get me being Mexican-American they didn't get that I didn't I wasn't accented or I wasn't playing the fiery sexy Latina yes you were playing an ethnic role I wasn't a stereotype but you were ethnically diverse a hundred percent and I was very strong and I always wanted, I never felt competitive with women. I always <laughs> felt competitive with the men because I was like, why are men the only ones that get these like headlines and paychecks and get to do action movies? And I love action. I love <laughs> comedy. And I don't want to be the girl that gets saved. That's so boring. So yeah, so I've, I've sort of gotten back, to, back into it and I have some stuff in development and it's, it's fun. And it's also a nice release, to be honest, from like business. Yeah, how know? many people do you employ at the Honest Company? So, I mean, here you are, you're the founder of this thing, and you got a, a responsibility of a whole organization. How many people do yeah, you have? We're at like around 200. Yeah. But it's interesting because I've had to, it's like being in business school while running a business, it's like um, building a plane while you're flying it. And learning how to fly it yeah. <laughs> all at the same time. Um, no problem. But it's also exciting because it's still a very new concept. And they used to call my business like a niche thing. And now it's more and more mainstream, which is funny how these financial people talk about it. And what's interesting is like my business was completely built on this is just the right thing to do. Well, and that's then, always a good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone else is like catching up to what that means for them and their business and like i said the more i can inspire even consumers to demand more out of their quality of life it forces the marketplace to rise to the occasion yeah i think that's a great message and i think that's a great way for us to conclude but look you're super generous to do this with me oh, yeah. was amateur doing podcasts but um <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of entrepreneurs and i got a lot of respect for what you've been able to create here and i look forward to our meeting that we're having later learn more about what's going on in your company and uh, again just thanks so much for being a part of this yeah thanks for having me We're going to switch gears now and have a chat with one of our best salespeople over at the Barton Creek store in Austin, Texas, a personal stylist by the name of Ashley Christian, who really embodies the core spirit of what we're trying to achieve here at Nordstrom, which is to connect with customers in her own unique and authentic way. I was super impressed by her philosophy toward retail and her gentle approach to customers in one of the most vulnerable places on earth, the fitting room. 
I'm really happy that I'm talking to Ashley Christian, one of our very top salespeople here in Austin at the Barton Creek store. And Ashley, you're a personal stylist, that's right? That is correct. And how long have you been working at Nordstrom now? Uh, nine years this uh, July. Nine years. And I know by reputation that you're a person I needed to talk to. I visited here. Julia Sorvetch says, oh, you need to talk to Ashley. And so I'm really excited just to kind of hear your story about you know, how this has all worked for you in your journey. So how did you find out about us? I shopped here. Oh, you did? You were a customer? Oh, oh, I love to shop, yeah. I mean, I came to Nordstrom because I wanted a discount, and I was kind (laughs) of in between jobs at the moment. I didn't – I had graduated with my degree in psychology a few years prior, and I just kind of struggling to figure out how do I want to apply this? What do I want to do next? And so I came to Nordstrom thinking like, oh, like – I'll just work here for the summer, stay through the end of the year. You know what's amazing? That is such a common story around here where so many people start with, I'll do this for a while. Seems like fun. I like clothes. I like the discount. But then I'll do my real job. I'll end up doing my real job. So tell me, what was the tipping point for you that's like, you know, this isn't now just a temporary thing. I actually like this and I see myself doing this. So for me, as I mentioned, I have this background in psychology and I knew I wanted to help people. I felt like I could really connect with others and really see their perspective, but I was struggling to find my place in that environment and how I wanted to apply my background. And for me, I remembered having a customer make an appointment with me and she had recently undergone a breast reduction surgery and she had not tried any clothes on. She didn't even really know what things looked like. She was very petite, so it was very obvious that this was like a necessary procedure for her to have. And I remember she's trying on this beautiful Reformation dress. I zip it up, and she just breaks down in tears. It's so I emotional. I they were happy tears. Happy tears. <laughs> okay, that's good. Overwhelmed, and she's like, oh, my gosh. I never thought I could look like this. I never thought that I could fit into something like this. And I've had so many of those moments where I have people – that have either gained weight or lost weight or maybe they've gone through a bad divorce. And I've realized that I have the ability to really help people bring out that inner beauty. And with women, we're so critical of how we look and our perception of our flaws. And, you know, we're so critical of the way that we look. And to be able to go into a fitting room and have somebody and trust someone like myself with those insecurities and with those flaws. You think about what a vulnerable moment for any customer or woman to be in a dressing room, like essentially in their underwear trying on clothes and having to trust someone with all of that, right? I mean, that's that's what you do, right? You're getting people at their most vulnerable And that's where the beauty comes from what we do. They're trusting me, but it's, you hit the nail on the head. It's in a vulnerable place and they're, you know, you have all these mirrors and so all of their flaws and all their insecurities are magnified. And I feel like in a world where we live in now, where social media has just taken off and like women specifically, we're comparing ourselves and judging the way that we look. And it's a very intimate environment and to connect with someone. And I've realized, I mean, I've had so many clients that I've really, it becomes very therapeutic. And so through that, I felt like I found my place and really help people through retail therapy in a way, really kind of discover their best self. And I had a good friend that said once, we don't use the F word around here, fat. We don't like that word. We don't say that word here in these fitting rooms. And you don't necessarily get that as much downstairs, you know, with the men's world, but with women, like we're so... 
you know, oh, I don't want you to see my stretch marks or I don't want, you know, I just had a baby a couple months ago. Yeah. I don't want you to see this. And, you know, so it's, you know, exactly like they have to trust me. Yeah. So you started selling clothes here at Nordstrom, but you found like a sense of intentionality and purpose around us, a sense of mission that exactly. was more than that's cute. It's more about I'm helping people. Am I, re- am I getting that exactly, right? Exactly. 100%. You know, I feel like I'm actually making an impact that's why I've stayed. I've partnered with Make-A-Wish Foundation. I've, you know, had those customers that come to me when, you know, they just lost their father. You know, they lost their sister. They, they're coming and shopping for a dress to wear to a funeral. And I really have that opportunity to connect and really wrap my arms around this customer and help them and give them words of encouragement. And it's beyond what I could possibly sell them. You know, I'm really helping them get through the day even. They're just trying to hold it together. And this is something that they have to do is come in and find something to wear to this funeral. And I'm really like making it a much more bearable experience. So I felt like Nordstrom in a way has helped me realize what my purpose is. And it's not retail. It's helping people and connecting with people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting though, because I mean, you're, you're obviously a really nice person. I can just tell, listen to how you talk about other people. But the fact is, you're also really successful. I mean, you're an accomplished seller. You sell a lot. Do you think about it in those terms, like you've got a goal around volume and sales? Are you more thinking about, I have these customers, and if I do right by them, it'll all add up to something that's... How does that kind of work for you? You know, in the movie Field of Dreams, when he says, you know, if you build it, they will come. Right. I kind of have that mentality. Like, I don't think about it as like, okay... I'm coming into work. I'm going to hit this number. I'm going to make these transactions happen. I just know that at the end of the day, everything will work out. Everything will fall into place. And customers are very observant. They're very self-aware. And they can tell when someone is being extremely transactional, when they're just in it to make that sale, when they reach out only like, hey, we just got this in. I thought of you. I actually reach out to customers and say, hey, how have you been? I know the last time that you were in, you were having a hard time with this issue or that issue. Like, I kind of, in a way, become, I don't want to say their therapist, but just someone who cares. Right. That, that's great. So, like, like, what's a really satisfying day for you? A satisfying day for me is when, like, maybe we've gotten in a really great product, and I've just put, I'm just excited, and I share in the enthusiasm with my customer, and I set up a fitting room, and I just know, I just know, oh, my gosh, they are going to love it. You know, I've listened to their needs. I ask beforehand, what do you want to get out of this appointment today? What are you looking for? And just delivering exactly what they want. When they walk in there, say, oh, Ashley, it's like you read my mind. And when they say, I needed this today. And maybe they buy one thing, maybe they buy 10 things. But just being able to interpret what a customer wants, what their expectations, and to be able to deliver and meet those expectations and go above and beyond what those expectations were. So, Ashley, are you top seller in the store? One of the top sellers? I am. Yeah. Are you the top seller in the store? I'm not. I could be. But going back to my background in psychology, yeah. mental health is really important for me. Yeah. And I focus purely on connections and relationships. That is what's going to ensure my longevity with the company. And I used to try to be the best. I wanted to be my best, but I wanted to be the best. I wasn't the best unless I was number one, and it was killing me on the inside, and my mental health was really struggling, and I felt like that pressure that I was putting on myself, I don't get it from 
from my store manager. I don't get it from my peers. I put it on myself, and it was breaking me. And I, I thought to myself, I'm like, who am I trying to impress? What am I trying to accomplish here? Am I, okay, great, you're number one. Congratulations, you got a pat on the back. I want to, all I need to know is that I'm doing my best and that my customers see that I'm giving my best day in, day out. And you might be coming in and, I mean, I've got clients that will spend 20000 and then I've got clients that spend 200 right. And I give my best to every single person. Right. Well, Ashley, thank you for doing the job you do. I love hearing this stuff. It's great. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate you and the example you set here and the leadership just by doing what you do. So. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to stay up to date on the latest episodes, click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a like, a share, and a review so that other people can find this thing too. For more information about the show, Head to Nordstrom.com slash Podcast, where you can listen to episodes, see upcoming guests, and learn about how you can get involved. We really want to hear about your experience with Nordstrom, so if you have a story about how you receive great service or even bad service, give me a call and leave a voicemail. The number is 206-594-0526, or send us an email to Nordypodcast at Nordstrom.com. So drop us a line and be part of the Nordy Pod. And make sure to tune in next time when I sit down with Joey Zwillinger, co-founder of the earth-conscious and really exciting new footwear brand, Allbirds. Almost all of the carbon emissions for any consumer product is born in the materials. These materials dictate whether you're going to make a big or small impact on the planet. This is why we started with things like merino wool. It's why we introduced a eucalyptus fiber-based upper to replace polyester mesh. It's why on the bottom of your shoe, the foam material... We actually innovated with a company down in Brazil to use the waste stream of sugarcane production. That material is carbon negative. Every single component that we use has been thought through and has been optimized for comfort and for sustainability. This conversation is truly inspiring. Joey gives us a glimpse into a world that we can actually be proud to hand down to future generations. And it's easy on the feet, too. So join us next time on The Nordy Pod. Nordy Pod.